So is he like a, is it a, a wolf cub or an owl? What is, what is this? Wild thing. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> oh, you are so right, my friend. You are so right. It will. Oh, yeah. He's in good company here. It's gonna be fine. Yeah. There's plenty here. Plenty of them here. Awesome. Um. Okay. It's good to see everyone. I'm gonna let me turn these lights on real quick, so we can see. Something you've seen God at work in your life this week? Anyone? In the life of you or those around you? You know. Someone has to be first. Yeah. That is. You're right, because you're not guaranteed that. <laughs> I think we all, we all know that, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, we do know that, you know? And so that is, that is a gift. Very cool. And we're getting ready for a wedding, so just lots of nice. things around that. So just definitely seeing God work around that. Cool. So. Good. What else? Epic yawn from the wild thing. Well done. <laughs> All right, one more. Um, my cousin came and visited for the first time in a long time. And uh, like I visit them more than they do when they're in San Antonio. Uh, I just got to stay up till 2 a.m. having a really good conversation with him about life and family and work and all these things. And... Uh, He's a unique guy because he's always open to continuing to learn. Uh, and kind of just showed me that sometimes I'm not. Mm. So that's kind of God saying, like, hey, I'm always teaching. You should always be learning, like this guy over here. So, mm. Nice. I don't think any of us would have known to tell you that. So that's. <laughs> but good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Okay, let's do this. Let's, let's turn to Acts 16, and someone be ready to kind of give a rundown of the last bit we talked about in Acts. Now, it was at Casa de Evers, like seven years ago, right? Something like that. Or a month. Either one. Either one. I'm not sure. Um, but we talked about the end of chapter 15, so someone kind of be ready. I'll help tell the story, kind of 
you start and we'll fill in the gaps with you. All right? <clears throat> so what, what kind of happens at the end of 15? Or in 15 at all, do we remember? There's this issue in the beginning of 15 where they're going to go to the council and argue circumcision, I think, right? Isn't that what happens? What's, what, what do they end up deciding? Drew? It's not mandatory. Not mandatory. Phew, said all the Greeks. <laughs> right? It's not mandatory. Um, they said, no, the Holy Spirit has come to those that are uncircumcised just as it has to those who are circumcised. God must like them the way they are, right? God must have intended for them as is to receive the kingdom of heaven that's at hand. It must be ready as is to receive the Holy Spirit. All right, but then what else happened in that conversation? They did say something though. They said, yes, that's fine, but we encourage them strongly to what? Do you remember? Jonah knows one of them. Yes. Right? Sexual immorality. What else? You said it back there. What did you say? Yeah. Don't don't eat something that's that's cooked in blood, pretty much, is the idea. Um, and that goes back, there's lots of conversation around that. We'll just have it another day. I don't wanna I don't wanna deal with it. It's it's a long conversation that is important, and they're they're saying to them, look, this is important, just Encourage everyone not to do those things, to abstain from them, and everyone's going to get along great together, right? So then Paul and Barnabas go, and they, they start to teach this. They start to say to the church at Antioch, and they say, spread the word. Here is what the council has kind of decided and encouraged, and what happens as a result of that? How did the church respond? They received it and felt encouraged, right? They were encouraged, they were encouraged, first of all, they didn't have to circumcise everyone. And they were also encouraged that the church cared and said, we do want you, though, to abstain from things. We want you to, to watch your life in this way. And they said, that sounds wonderful. And they rejoiced in encouragement. Then what happens? The story kind of takes a turn. And this is what we talked about at the house. You remember? What happens? Paul and Barnabas are going where they want to go next. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, one, one, was, one says, Barnabas says, I want to take John Mark, right? And Paul says? <laughs> yes. Why is that? Do we remember why? Why would Paul feel that way? Do we remember why? Didn't Mark leave them at a time after there had been some challenges on the road? And, or just, he went back after, when they kept going at some point? Yes. And we don't know a lot about it then, but we're hearing a lot about it now. And apparently, it, earlier in the story, it just says, and from there, John Mark departed from them and went back. And the story kind of moves on. So you're like, oh, that's fine. He didn't feel like staying, or he went to report, or whatever else. And you're like, oh, that might be okay, right? But then here, it seems like it was absolutely not okay. Because Paul says, no, I don't want him here, in part because of his desertion from the last missionary journey. And what arises, I'm, I'm like, basically telling the story, but what arises between them? A sharp disagreement. disagreement. So sharp that what? They parted company. 
a sharp disagreement happens with them over this person, which again, we talked about at the house how interesting it is that Paul was one Barnabas needed to speak up for and tell everyone, no, this guy can do it. This guy can go with us. He is, the Holy Spirit is within him. Don't be afraid. We can use, this is okay. He's with us. And then the same thing happens with John Mark and Paul says, no, no, too much. Very interesting there, this part of the story. But they split company. We talked about how as a church, we, we can disagree on things, but we don't want there to be sharp disagreements. We want to head them off before they become so sharp that people part company with each other. That people say, no, I can't even be with you in community. This, this can't continue this way, right? We talked a little bit about that. So moving on from the story, though, we have this, and they go in different directions. They go and continue the work, right? They're both going to, to encourage churches and to start communities of faith and going to different places that haven't heard about the kingdom of heaven yet. And so they're both doing this. And then in chapter 16, this is what it says. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was spoken well of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Let's stop. We're going to keep going, but let's stop. Why in the world did he feel like, after the church said no, you don't need to circumcise everyone. Why did he circumcise Timothy? Why? It seemed like it was because it was culturally appropriate for that region or the people they were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to you, I promise. What did you say? Uh, it, just said, it seemed like culturally in that region or with the people they were with, that's like what you know, people wanted. People wanted? Is that okay? Okay. Okay. Doesn't the family line like the Jewish pass through the woman rather than the man? There's a value to that that wouldn't be. I don't know. Yeah. So is is he? Does he have to be to be able to share the gospel of faith? No. No? They've just said right. It's fine. Right, but through someone else, though, right? I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We're going to get into that exact fact, but not even through himself, right? Maybe, maybe it's like Timothy. You don't have to do this, but if you do, if you can bear with it, sorry, if you can bear with it, it'll just make it easier or give us a better audience. Okay, let's be honest with ourselves. Does that sound reasonable to you as a person? For them to do that? Some of you are giving the look like, of course, because they did it. And some like, no. What if it was you? Or your son or daughter going on a missionary journey and someone's like, no, no, no I need you to submit to something. You don't have to, but I'm going to ask you to. Because the other people in that town will hear you better if you do. That's, that's difficult. This is, this is an interesting turn in Acts that happens here. Okay, Because... 
We have until now, um, and again, it's, it's happened slowly, these other cultures finding the kingdom, finding the gospel, right? Here we see, um, as other cultures do begin to find it, and as the gospel goes to different people, from Jews to Gentiles to Greeks to families who are mixed families to people who have completely different cultural values, you see the gospel having to answer some difficult questions, right? It's like, what are we going to require from people? What are we going to, what laws, what rules, what ways of living, what cultural norms are we going to submit to as the kingdom of heaven that's at hand? And on this one, you're right, Paul does later say, I become all things to all people, right? Meaning, if someone needs me to submit to a certain rule, I will. If, if someone needs me to shave my beard, later he goes to, back to Jerusalem, and as he goes, he does this ceremonial shaving of his beard. And he says, I didn't shave my beard because I think it's important. I shaved my beard because I would be heard better if I just shaved my beard, right? He's like, I think this is foolishness. I think it's ridiculous to have to shave my beard, but I will if someone's going to hear my story better. If someone's going to hear the narrative better, I will. But here's the difficult part. When it's us, that is hard. When it's, when it's Austin Evers, it's less pleasant. I can say that to you, but um, so there's this time uh, when I lived in New England that um, I took some college students to Estonia to, um, it was basically like there was, some, there was a missionary there and he had some, some interns working for him that were our age, these two guys that were our age working there. And they were just, they were having a hard time. They were lonely, pretty much, these two younger guys. And they're like, hey, we just need some college. Really, I mean, girls and guys is fine, but these guys just need some dudes to come hang out and play basketball with them and try to just meet people with them because they're having a hard time. They're starting to feel real lonely, just stuck in their room. And we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll get some buddies together and go. So we go over, and Estonia... And this is, this is the way I looked at it then, too. I assume it's still this way. Estonia was a place where everyone drank all the time. All the time. Every coffee shop we went to and tea shop had like seven different breakfast whiskeys to put in your coffee. And it was going to be awesome. Right? In my head, I was like, I should be a missionary here forever. I think this is not... No, but... And, and I'm serious, the Tallinn, the city where we were, was known for its like European culture of everyone bringing their whiskey and their beer and their drink there to celebrate in old Tallinn. It was like this thing about it, apparently, that, that when we were reading up on it before we went, we were all like, oh no, this is going to be so wonderful. Like, I, I mean, we go to a place legitimately that had, and it wasn't one of those cheesy places where they have like, oh, we have 100 beers, it's awesome. It was like from all over the world and amazing and just beautiful in its way, right? It was, it was great. But we get there, and one of the guys was like, hey, let's go out to lunch, whatever. So we go out to lunch, and we're just so excited, right? We're so pumped to enjoy lunch and enjoy beers with these guys and, and encourage them, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, they start ordering, they don't order a beer. And we're like, hey, what's, uh, are you not getting a beer? There's like, a million beer, have you already had them all? Like, what are you doing? And he said, no, actually in Estonia, because the culture here is so alcohol heavy, uh, the Christians at the church, the churches we all go to, and every Christian we found basically abstains completely. And so we've had a hard time if they see us drinking or whatever to, you know, to be able to actually be respected. Uh, so we've chosen not to drink. And I was like... Oh, man. 
you what? <laughs> like, why did you do that? No, and I, I was like, oh, that's really respectful of you. <sighs> I assume that's what we are going to need to do as missionaries coming here that are supposed to be helping and encouraging you and doing these things. And so it was this, that's what was necessary, right? Now, legitimately, does God say no drinking for people? No, right? Some people have the ability to do that very well and are fine. Some people do not need to so much. Some people need to abstain completely because of parts of their life and all those things. The the deal is, we rarely, though, act in our liberties for the sake of someone else. Rarely. We do it for us. Oh, I don't have a problem with something so I can engage, right? Or I feel fine, you know, with, uh, I mean, pick your whatever. Uh, Another time we went to South Africa and we went to certain churches, we could wear whatever we wanted. Other places and villages, every woman needed to wear a dress to be heard well by people in that town. They would not have kicked them out. They weren't going to be in danger. People understood culture. But for them to be heard at that place, they needed to do that. Does God say you need to wear a dress? No. No, for the love. But people decided to let go of liberties for the sake of someone else. Now, again, we can all nod about that. But when it's your personal liberty, that is less pleasant. It is less pleasant to watch what we eat or drink or our language at our parents' home, right? I hear us whine about that all the time. I do. I whine about it. I do. It is difficult for us to forego certain liberties for the sake of, of enjoying another church's company, even. We don't like that. That's why there's, I mean, some of the reason why there's 700 churches in a mile of us, Right? This is, this is a difficult thing, but the thing we need to understand is, first of all, giving away your liberties for someone else is wonderful, and then the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of heaven, should always be the guide of that. Because again, there's also times when you need to enjoy your liberty to show someone this could be a liberty that is okay. I firmly believe that as well. Paul at other times does not forego that. He says, no, I'll eat what I want to eat. If I want to go to someone's house, a Greek's house, and they offer me food that's sacrificed to their idol, I'm going to eat it because I want them to enjoy me. I want to be welcomed in their home. I am all things to all people. I can forgo meat, sacrifice to idols, or I can have it because I want it and I think it's delicious or I want to know this person better and I don't want to offend them in their home. And so Jews, take that however you want, but I'm going to eat what I want to eat when I'm there, and then when I'm with you, I will also forego those liberties because that's fine. I can enjoy that. But this is a difficult thing for us to manage. It is. It's a difficult thing because there's no rules to it. There's no list of when you're with this person, you can do this. When you're with this person, don't do that. Because at times, you can enjoy. Other times, we feel the Holy Spirit tug us to not, to submit And I think it would do us well to take note of that. It would do our church a a good bit moving forward if we would understand that our liberties aren't our liberties. They are our liberties. I can only engage, I should see it this way, I can only engage in the liberties I can if 
you all are okay with me doing that. If it's encouraging to you, encouraging to Lily, Asher, and Tovin, encouraging to the church at large, yes, I can engage. Yes, I can be loud about this. Yes, I can speak openly about this. But that is something we have to deal with the Holy Spirit at all times. It can't be just something we make a decision about and then move forward. Because they made a decision. No, you don't have to be circumcised. And Paul and Timothy decided on this one, yeah, we don't have to, but this would be best. This would be best, number one, for the kingdom of heaven at hand. And number two, it would be best for the people to be able to actually hear you. Is that Timothy's fault that those people couldn't hear him if he wasn't circumcised? No. And he could have gotten mad about that. I mean, like, well, they need to relax. That's ridiculous that they don't understand that I have a liberty to not be circumcised. He could have, he could have acted about that. He could have thrown a fit. I mean, I would have for sure on that one. To be, yeah, that one's a fit-throwing ordeal, I think. But he could have done that. Instead, they went and submitted to someone else's liberties and moved forward. And I didn't mean to talk so long about that, but we need to, to all understand that is for each other, okay? And for the people outside of us, okay? And for the Holy Spirit at large within us, okay? That's something that we, we need to catch hold of. Okay, let's keep going. Um, and they went through the region of Phygeria, or Phygia, um, and Galatia, having been forbidden to the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, which is interesting. We'll come back to it shortly, but we won't spend as much time on it. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing through Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what's interesting, anyone interesting about this passage, just about the language here, besides there being a bunch of names? Us. Us. Very interesting. Is this the first time when you hear us and we? It is. So whoever writes, the idea is whoever writes Acts, whether it be Luke or someone else just in his company, or an assistant of Luke, or whatever it is, apparently Luke joins them here, right? That someone comes in and no longer speaks as they, them, he, it's we, us, I, is even later, which is interesting in this language. So a lot of people will say, well, is that Macedonian person Luke? was Luke living in Macedonia, and then the idea was that God gives Paul a vision of Luke himself and says, come help us, and then Luke sees them there, and he's like, oh, it's you. How did you know that I wanted your help? He's like, oh, God told me in a dream or something. But that's a, an idea. It's not listed specifically, but that's what a lot of people think. So if you hear someone say that, oh, the Macedonian man, that's Luke, that's why they say that. That's why they would guess that. That's why. Um, we don't hear about it really again. It doesn't, we don't know who that is, no one else really has met that people are like, oh yeah, that's for sure him, right? It's not like that. But what about the language of God not allowing them to speak in Asia? Or the Holy Spirit of Jesus withhold, or not allowing them to go to Mysia? What's, what do we make of that? Okay. Well, I mean, like, most of the time you 
I'm not disagreeing. I'm like, yeah, that's fair, yeah. Well, I just, you know, whether it be somebody, it seemed like there was, you know, maybe more Roman guard in the area, and it happened to be that, you know, Christians were getting more persecuted or blocked in that area for whatever reason, or they just were praying about it. And as they went, each day or each moment, God was like, actually, no, I don't have a good feeling about going here anymore, and suddenly, you know, you're there, and you turn around. Um, it doesn't seem like it fit our normal ways of planning, but maybe that's, again, why they're listening to the Holy Spirit and they're seeing God in dreams they're asking for him, showing up. They're asking for direction. If you, you have to be asking for direction to, be, to understand God saying, no, please don't go this way, right? Um, I think a lot of times we chalk it up to if, just if something fails, right? If we try this new thing and it doesn't work well, we're like, oh, well, God didn't want us to do that. Is what I think churches a lot of times will say to that, but I don't know if that's the same as this personally. It doesn't sound the same to me. This sounds like people asking, what should we do? There's a fork in the road. Should we go here or go here? And is it a bad idea to go speak the gospel in Asia at this time? (laughs) No, probably not. Probably the people that live there need the gospel, just like the people that lived in Macedonia, right? I mean, people of Mysia, were they all Christians and so they didn't need it? No, probably not. God has a different path for Paul and Timothy, and whoever's with them at the time, there's a different way. And here's, here's, here's what I think this tells a lot of us. There are lots of ways and lots of ideas that are good. There's lots of parenting tips for you parents that are good. They're reasonable, right? It worked well for this person. But for you, is God asking you to lead your family in this way? Our church, there are lots of churches that are doing wonderful things. Things they are trying are working, working with quotes, quote fingers on the podcast. They're working, right? That doesn't mean that we should do all of them and engage in all of them, right? Authors you read have wonderful ideas. They are smart. They are, they are readable, right? But what they say might not work with you, might not be where you should go. Right? We don't all handle grief the same. We don't all handle um, speaking to our friends and neighbors about love and our life and the kingdom of heaven the same. We don't all have the same workplaces to where we need to behave in the same ways in them. Our churches don't look the same and aren't collected with the same individuals. So it really is us relying, again, this is going to be common with them that we keep saying, they are relying on the Holy Spirit to direct even where they go to share. It's not okay with them just to, to everything they do, say, oh, that sounds good, and they go for it. Ooh, that's a good idea. We should all try this. No, it's, it's a constant reliance on the Holy Spirit to teach them where to go, to direct their actual path. Where should we spend our energies? Where should we leverage our resources? What are we doing here? Holy Spirit, please help us. And the Holy Spirit is beginning to do that. Now, as, as that happens, they set sail for Troas in verse 11. They make direct voyage Simon Thrace, and following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed to be, um, where, we, where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down, and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from a city of Thyatira, and a, sh- a seller of purple goods, 
who was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, please come to my house to stay. And she prevailed upon us. So they go to the city, and what do they usually do when they go to these cities? What's their norm? How do they interact with the city? What do they do? They go to a synagogue, right? So they can find Jews there, people with commonality, and that's where they would usually go first. What else do they do? They usually speak openly about the gospel and preach. What else? Yeah, they try to find someone to connect with and someone that would, would offer peace in some way, peaceful relationship. But what else? After you go to the market, right? You go to the, the busy parts, right? The market often were where men would come and share knowledge, especially in, in a Roman place, like in Macedonia at this time. You have a gathering of males that would come and talk and do business and do these things. So we assume they did all these things, but then where do they, where do they find enjoyment here? Where, do the, where does the gospel grow? Where does it go? It grows outside the city, right? It grows near water, where who is coming to get water for their families? Women, Women right? And they go there. They need a quiet place to pray. And this, this group of women are there, and so they start to talk with them. And this one, Lydia, a seller of purple goods, which means what? Yeah, she's probably really wealthy. She sells that kind of material. She has a home for them to be able to stay in. Also, she has her whole household that gets baptized. This is a prominent family. We found that out later as well, but a very prominent family in the district that Lydia is a part of. And she catches the gospel and loves it, Right? He says, oh, today's the day I'm getting baptized in my whole household. Let's, let's all do this together. And this is such a beautiful, it's, it's, not the same, it's not the same as this, but it reminds me so much of the, the woman at the well. Because you have these plans to go to the important and to the, um, to the influential, right? And we say it all the time, if just this one influential person would do this great thing for the kingdom, oh man, they would be really helpful. <laughs> Churches do that all the time, like, oh, I mean, doesn't even have to be a wealthy person, per se, but that always helps, also. <laughs> but you would have, oh, that person is influential and important. Ooh, if they could just buy in, and so you spend time and energy, and you do all these things, right? Which is, which is not inherently bad. But where does the gospel sometimes take hold, and root, and do the most beautiful things? It's outside the city gates, away from the market, in a quiet place where women of households are coming to get water. And it's in places where it's late in the day when the, the woman who everyone else in town thinks is incredibly sexually immoral or is just impossible to live with, that's why all her husbands have left her. She's too difficult. She's too ugly to be a part of. It's too, it's too damaged or stained by the world or whatever else you want to say. Whatever else Christians say. <laughs> we say. The gospel takes root there. And it's beautiful there. And we would do good to hear that as well. That, that sometimes, yeah, the synagogue is great. 
And that was their norm, and that's fine. And yes, the market is a place to share ideas, and it's ready, and we can go back and forth, and it's exciting, and yada, yada, and it's busy, and hip, and cool, and sexy in that way, and all these things. But then, too, who, who goes outside the city gate to have a quiet place and share there? The gospel gets accepted there. And this family, Lydia's family, this, this group of women, basically like bloom the church in Macedonia. It's beautiful. It's beautiful how it works. Again, that is not a Jewish way at the time. It's not a, at the time, that's not a Christian way. It's not how it worked. It's not how the temple worked, so it's not how their church necessarily worked, and it's not how this, again, again, all the conversation is about circumcision with the males that are going to lead and be the one. I mean, all of that is happening. And then you have this beautiful place in Macedonia where the church is going to explode and do crazy things happens with women outside the city. And they bring them in and they say, no, 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 we'll sacrifice with you. Stay with us. We'll provide. Stay here. Have the church. The church starts meeting at this house, which is awesome. We don't even know the guy's name, by the way, which is exciting. This isn't like Philip's wife, which is cool to me. But the church does this and begins this way. We're not changing it to that way. We're not like offering a new take on it. This is always the church. This is always the way. From the beginning, from the roots of it, this is it. And it's beautiful in that way. So what I want us to do, we'll stop there in Acts. Um, let's stand together. And we'll do communion in that mind. So in, in three things that I want us to kind of understand or, or listen to or hear, whatever, is it number one, yes, the gospel is all things to all people, meaning so should we be. Meaning, yes, we can press and we can extend each other's liberties, but we can also hold them and we can also submit to one another. Um, that, is, that is me submitting to you, that is you submitting to me, that is us understanding that the gospel can do well with each other if we're always on the other's behalf if we're always trying to listen to the Holy Spirit and what we can do for someone else or what we cannot do for someone else or how we need to become in front of each other. That is important for us to realize and it's important for us to have a, to have a, a mindset that is that way from the beginning. To not have to decide in the moment, but the decision is, no, I will forego or I will enjoy or I will partake or not partake for the sake of someone else. That needs to be our mindset, number one. And then also, just... The way that we as a body, we as a people, you as families, as a way as we, as co- we are constantly listening to the Holy Spirit on where to go, what to do, how do we leverage our resources, how do we leverage ourselves? What am I to say? What am I to not say? How are we to give? How are we to not give? There's no straight list of rules about these things. We're just listening and going from the Holy Spirit's voice. That is, that is us. And so we need to learn it. And we need to learn to enjoy it. And then the other is to not be afraid for us to take the gospel to like the weak place. The, the place of no standing. The place that doesn't seem the best place to start a movement. You know? Enjoy the gospel there. Enjoy the gospel with the, the least of these quote-unquote. And so in that mind, we're going to take communion, 
And this is how that's going to work. We're going to say a liturgy of response and then say the Lord's Prayer together. And the band's going to play. There's going to be two songs. So whenever you feel like the time is right in that, there's bread and cup in the back. You just take the bread, dip it in the cup, enjoy communion. Um, again, we say this every week because we mean it. Communion is for all of us. Uh, no matter where you are on your faith journey, no matter where you are on following even today, no matter where we are of your convictions or how your week went or what you've done or haven't done, communion is for us. It's a gift for all of us. And so we enjoy enjoying it together.